not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today we're talking about Busey's Take a Hostage, which originally aired May 8th, 2005, was directed by David DeVito and written by Gary Murphy. Hi, I'm Jake, and I am the voice of the people. And I'm David, and you think this podcast is a joke? Representative Twitter polls are an outdated sham? I can't believe my ears. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment where we've got some poll results. Uh, Looking back on motivational speaker... And we both uh, ended up choosing Jamie as least shitty kid for that episode for being literally the shittiest and taking a shit in the big boy potty. That's right. That's progress. (laughs) And the internet agreed with us, uh, though it was uh, pretty narrow. Jamie won with 60% of the vote, with Malcolm coming in with 40%. That's because we probably didn't have a lot of parents in the audience jake fair and for shittiest kid you chose dewey for all of the creepy oedipal stuff in his plot line and for lying to lois while i chose reese for being a bad pack leader and the internet agreed with you ha is <laughs> Dewey won with 80% of the vote, with the other 20% going to Jamie. Yeah, because it was weird and creepy. It was weird and creepy. (laughs) You're not wrong about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But with that, let's get into this week's episode. And of course, it starts with a cold open. And this cold open centers around Reese and Lois watching a soap opera together. As Reese is asking uh, why the town doctor is uh, serving as someone's lawyer. And Lois explains that before he got pushed off a cliff and got amnesia, he was the town's best lawyer. God, that's such a soap opera fucking plotline. It sure is. Uh... (laughs) When... Uh, Reese says that the real crazy part is that the woman is sleeping with the judge who's clearly just using her to get to her money. (laughs) Oh my god. Then Malcolm starts to walk in and Reese uh, jumps into action, turning the TV off and turning on Lois and yelling that anyone could have started that fire. How come you never take my side? Until uh, Malcolm has walked through the room, and then he, like, sits back down on the couch and turns the soap opera back on. And Lois reassures him that uh, there's some very manly men that watch soap operas with their mom. (laughs) And getting into the episode proper, we've got a couple of plot lines, and we will start with the, uh... The briefest and most disconnected one, the Reese plot line. Ah, yes. Which I think you have named the FTL plot for <laughs> failure to launch. Uh, that's funny. Uh, no. God, I wish I'd have come up with that. <laughs> no. What did you name it? This is the RS plot for reverse studying. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, this plotline starts with Malcolm walking into their room and being shocked as he finds Reese studying. And Reese uh, explains why he's, you know, doing this studying in, in such a panic, and it's because his idiot teachers waited until the end of his senior year to tell him that he was going to have a final test in every single class. Yeah, how dare they, Jake? How dare they? <laughs> and he is worried, because if they're anything like this practice test, it's going to be really hard. And Malcolm looks at it and says, it's just a bunch of true-false questions. And Reese says, yeah, that means it's 50-50 chance. Do you know what the odds are of getting those? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> Then we see some more of Reese studying as he is reading his history textbook and, like, highlighting, uh, the, like, the, the words on the page. And then he, like, flips back through the, uh, book and he has just highlighted every single word in the book. And he, like, says to himself, I don't see how this is supposed to help. Oh, my God. Uh, dude, I have rented textbooks like that in college. And it used to drive me up a damn wall. Fair. <laughs> it's like, what What were you studying? Clearly nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely found myself in the, like, brain dead, like, close to finals, like, moment where I'm, like, just not thinking about it, doing exactly that, just, like, as I'm reading, like, highlighting. Oh. I'm like, the fuck am i doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can understand something like that but like uh just to have uh, the high i get the highlighting thing and the like going so brain dead but the thing that always used to drive me nuts that i know like helps some people but like have you ever gotten the book where they've done like the rainbow highlighting and like every like fourth word is in a different color no oh my god I, like I, i'm familiar with that like method but I, i've never had like one of my used books out oh dude i did and for whatever reason like i know it helps other people and if that's what you got to do cool but it makes it so hard for me to read a textbook that way like i see it and my eyes just immediately just gloss over and i might as well just stop reading like, I always loved getting a, a textbook that had, like, highlighted stuff or, like, uh, underlined stuff or especially, like, notes. Yeah, if the person who had it before you was as smart as you. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always just super fascinated by, like, what they cue in on, like, regardless of, like, if it's, like, relevant notes or not. I guess that's fair. It's kind of like a study of humanities at that point. Yeah. But uh, getting back into this bloodline, uh, we then see uh, Malcolm, like, waking up as the sun is coming up, and Reese is sitting at their desk uh, with a lamp on, still studying, and Malcolm asks if he pulled an all-nighter, and <laughs> Reese says, yeah, I've been working on uh, math, and I kept getting confused, so I decided to start making a list of all the numbers. <laughs> says 3042 <laughs> he writes that down and uh, asks when do they end <laughs> you know reese i've asked the same question <laughs> they really should stop after 10 they, they really should yeah it was all downhill after that i agree 
then uh, this plot line concludes with Lois, like, stomping around the kitchen, slamming the cupboards, you know, clearly very angry as uh, Malcolm walks into the kitchen. And when he asks Reese, you know, why she's so mad, Reese says because he flunked every single class. <laughs> In fact, he got every question on every final wrong. <laughs> Uh... <laughs> then he like smiles as he starts to explain that that means I get to redo my senior year. I don't have to go off to college or start looking for a job for another year. <laughs> this is my greatest achievement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reese. That's some real Francis logic. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> He says he had to make sure to fail every single test so spectacularly that he couldn't make it up in summer school. That's why he's been studying so hard. That's right. He had to learn enough to make sure he got the wrong answers. Exactly. That's how you ensure you get the wrong answers. You have to learn the right answers. Exactly. It's called reverse studying, Jake. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. And from there, we will go to the uh, other side plot, which centers around Hal and Malcolm. Yep. And, um... (laughs) There's there's a few that come to mind that it could be. That is fair. But I'm gonna go with the T plot for Ted. Okay, so not a bad guess. But uh, no, I didn't go with that. This is the RC plot for re-education camps. Okay, okay. That is is one of them that I thought of. I thought of that. I also thought of D for dystopia. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But but then I went, eh, I know David's also a Scrubs fan. I am. Uh, Dude, seeing Ted in this episode, are you kidding me? I am so very happy, and we'll talk about that much more later. We will. (laughs) (laughs) But this plot line starts with Hal complaining about the neighborhood association fees, and he, uh, like, brings up to Lois that the annual meeting is coming up, and... She uh, sort of scoffs and says, it's been a whole year already, huh? Those people are relentless. She asks, uh, do you think if we go, then we'll stop being invited? That's usually the uh, case everywhere else. (laughs) Yes. But uh, Lois says, you know, at least this year you have a good excuse because tomorrow you're going to clean out the uh, dead possum from the fireplace. (laughs) Uh, it's apparently started to stink so bad she can't tell if Jamie needs changed or not. <laughs> yes, but Hal says uh, if we leave it alone long enough, it'll disintegrate on its own eventually. Yeah. God, Hal. <laughs> uh, but Lois insists, saying she's uh, tired of all the crows on the roof. Man. <laughs> <laughs> When Malcolm walks in, Hal sees his opportunity to get out of this chore as he starts yelling at Malcolm about his lack of patriotism and thinking that uh, representative democracy is an outdated joke, which is where your opening line comes from. 
Yeah, <laughs> you think democracy is a or yeah, do you think democracy is a joke? <laughs> think representative <laughs> government is an outdated sham? <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and as Malcolm is just like staring at him very confused like Lois walks back in and asks what did he say and Hal says I'm too upset to repeat it <laughs> uh yes the dad move <laughs> yes and he says that he is going to take Malcolm to this meeting to see democracy in action that'll change his mind <laughs> huh. And we follow them to this meeting, uh, which is an empty room, <laughs> except for uh, the organization's lawyer, Jim, who is played by Sam Lloyd, who is probably best known for the role of Ted in Scrubs and Cougar Town. Yep. I say, don't forget his, his spinoff show. Of course. With your, uh, I mean, because let's face it, with your logic... Cougar Town is a Scrubs spinoff show. Don't be ridiculous, David. Uh -huh. Scrubs came out well before Cougar Town. Unlike Cheers, which is a Frasier spinoff. I hate you so much. You're so... <sighs> Don't follow this man on Twitter unless you want to either get enraged or confused. <laughs> All of his tweets some... <laughs> do not make sense. If you want some very topical Cheers shitposting... Follow me on Twitter, where I'm E-E-U-G. <laughs> you sure are some shitposting, you fucker. <laughs> God, every time every time I see a tweet by you, I get scared. Why? Well, because what new argument are we going to have today? That's why. Uh, on the plus side, I'm pretty sure at this point, you're the number one Cheers shitposting account, considering no one else would give a shit to do it. It doesn't make sense. It's a very topical current show. I hate you so much. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, listen, we can shamelessly plug your Twitter here. It's our show. Uh, but, <laughs> like, Jesus, dude. So Malcolm in the Middle, that good show. Yeah, yeah let's talk about that one. Wow, shots fired at Cheers. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it's your fault. Like, I liked Cheers way more before you started watching it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, glad I could help, Davis. <laughs> I bet you are, buddy. <laughs> but uh, the, the lawyer explains that for the last 20 years, he has been the only one showing up to these meetings. That they are the first people to ever actually show up to a neighborhood association meeting <laughs> <laughs> and that every year he sends out the flyers trying to get people in he's tried changing the font he upgraded the donuts but no one ever comes in until now <laughs> and when malcolm says so every year you just hold this meeting for no one <laughs> he says yes that that is his job and he gets paid uh, $10,000 a year as a retainer to uh, hold these meetings, oh, take the minutes. 2000 Jake. What did I say? You said 10000 Oh. Yeah, he gets paid $2,000 a year. He should be getting paid 10000 He should be, because he's Ted, but... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but then he uh, says that you know, the other part of his job is... Uh, 
taking care of uh, the association's uh, financial interests. And he, like, immediately, like, uh, corrects himself, saying, yeah, not that they have any. I don't want to make myself sound important. <laughs> and he says that, uh, since there hasn't been anyone, you know, from the neighborhood at these meetings, he's just been putting it all in a savings account for the whole time. And he never even opened the toast to the bank game back in 1983. That's right. <laughs> and hearing this, Malcolm does the math. And realizes that there must be at least $83,000 in this savings account. Uh, When Jim asks Hal if he wants to be president of the Neighborhood Association, uh, Hal turns him down, saying it sounds like work. (laughs) (laughs) But Malcolm interjects and tells Hal that this is his opportunity to do something for the community that he's always saying a good citizen makes sacrifices for the greater good. (laughs) He says that. Hal says, that doesn't sound like me. (laughs) But Malcolm just, like, continues gaslighting him, saying, those words inspired me. (laughs) And now you have the opportunity to uh, put them into action and do some good. (laughs) And maybe he could even inspire the whole neighborhood the way he inspires Malcolm. The world is just waiting for him to make it a better place. God. (laughs) And Jim is so touched by this he has to like wipe away tears as he says that this is why he went into zoning law. God. Uh, I always love he specializes in the most boring types of law. Of course. (laughs) I love Ted. <laughs> and uh, the next time we come to this plot line, Lois is reading the new business cards that Hal has had made, uh, you know, now that he is president. After, you know, talking about how nice these business cards are, uh, Hal goes over to Malcolm and asks how his little bureaucrat is doing. <laughs> <laughs> and... Malcolm is uh, explains that you know he's been going over all of the neighborhood initiatives that Hal wants to enact, <laughs> but Hal is confused and you know asks what initiatives. Malcolm explains, "Well, you said that you wished you could do a good job with this, which obviously means structural improvements, <laughs> like lights at the basketball courts and building a skate park." And Friday night dance parties with a killer DJ. (laughs) Oh, Malcolm. (laughs) Hal says, you know, I I don't know, this sounds really expensive. But Malcolm says, you know, you need to think of them as investments. You're actually losing money by not doing this. (laughs) And uh, that, like, gets Hal to, like, you know, start looking through the paperwork. And he's shocked as he realizes how much money is in this account. But Malcolm tries to, like, divert him by saying that, you know, most of that gets taken up by uh, maintaining infrastructure. Like, for instance, what's the point of having a DJ if you don't have the best sound system? (laughs) I mean, he's got a point. And Hal asks, you know, well, why don't we just write a refund check to everyone in the neighborhood? And Malcolm says, yeah, we could do that, but then we won't have money for what you said is the most important thing. Security. And Hal, like, nods and says, uh, security is important. And 
Malcolm says, yeah, you know, if only there was some sort of mobile security system that could weave through the neighborhood and keep everyone equally safe. And Hal says, like a security car? And Malcolm pretends to be awed by Hal's genius. <laughs> it's such a brilliant idea. Uh... <laughs> and Hal, you know, says, well, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's more than just uh, paying for the new car. You have to think about the costs, like storage costs. And then he says, well, wait a minute, I guess we could store it here. <laughs> and... Malcolm says that, you know, that's a brilliant idea, Dad. <laughs> Poor Hal. Then we, we see some more of Malcolm blatantly trying to get Hal to, you know, spend this money on things that he wants. As he's explaining that really opening a recording studio wouldn't cost anything at all. Because once one of the garage bands uh, makes it big, we'll be making 10% of their record sales. <laughs> God. <laughs> and Hal nods as though that makes perfect sense, saying, oh, so the same business model as the extreme sports camp. <laughs> then Malcolm starts to explain his plan to have a girls volleyball tournament, but is interrupted by the doorbell ringing. And it's Jim, who was so inspired by Malcolm's speech at the meeting that he took it upon himself to write a whole new constitution for the association that gives everyone in the neighborhood an equal voice. And, uh, you know, he's done this pro bono, and he thanks uh, Hal and Malcolm for showing up to that meeting and giving him hope again. And, you know, he gives this new constitution over to Hal to sign, and uh, well, as soon as Hal closes the door, Malcolm says, What a jerk! And Hal asks, uh, what do you mean? He seems like a nice guy. And Malcolm says that he's just, you know, trying to push his own agenda and remove Hal from power. And when Hal says, I think he's just trying to give a voice to the people, Malcolm says, you're the voice of the people. <laughs> and he tells Hal that his brain is like a good idea factory. Don't shut the factory down. You'd be letting everyone in the neighborhood down if you did. <laughs> and Hal says he's not going to let the people down, and he rips this constitution up. <laughs> then <laughs> we see uh, Malcolm, like, uh, pouring cereal in the morning, and Hal rushes out to the kitchen to, you know, excitedly tell him that he was thinking about what Malcolm said, and last night, he had a vision for what to do with this neighborhood. And Malcolm's immediately skeptical, saying, You had a vision without me? <laughs> and Hal says, You know, at first I thought it was stupid, but then I thought about what you were saying about my brain being a factory. <laughs> and he has created his vision for Mulberry Village, a new utopia. Oh, God. <laughs> And he gives Malcolm a, like, a pamphlet that has his ideas. And Malcolm starts reading through it, saying, Failure to smile, hello, $50 fine? Not knowing your neighbor's name, $25 fine? Failure to remove your fence, $100 fine? That's right. 
a Gestapo-styled utopia where niceness is forced upon you. This sounds right. like something one of our buddies would make up. <laughs> and Hal justifies all of this, saying that, you know, uh, people are resistant to change. <laughs> and looking through, like... Uh, deeper into the pamphlet, Malcolm asks, uh, what's the Hug Your Child initiative? <laughs> and Hal says that it'll be required that you hug your child publicly at least once a day. And he'll be setting up a hotline so that kids can inform <laughs> on any non-hug parents. <laughs> and Malcolm asks, uh, so you're trying to get kids to uh, sell their parents out? <laughs> and Hal says, well, yeah. Parents, teachers, any other adults who aren't obeying the rules. If they don't have anything to hide, then they shouldn't be worried. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've heard those phrases before. And Malcolm, uh, like, uh, gets a worried look on his face as he asks how, what's this about re-education centers? <laughs> <laughs> And Hal explains that the best children will be plucked from the negative influence of their families and put into cheerfulness camps. Yeah, you know, like youth centers. <laughs> exactly. Dedicated to their fearless leader, Hal. Yeah. Yeah. And he has named them the Mulberry Youths. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. Oh, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you guys don't get the parallels here, you really need to, you know, study world history, specifically between like 1942 and 1945. Yeah, I mean, that'd be fair. You need you need to start before 1942, David. Yeah, but that's, that's when everything. That's just like, where America got involved. It, well, that's <laughs> <And> therefore... why. <laughs> that's why I use those dates, Jake. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> that's that's how American historians contextualize that era. Exactly. <laughs> Before 1942, did anything really happen? I mean, not really. <laughs> not to real people, just ask us. <laughs> but uh, then this plot line concludes as... Uh, Malcolm, like, uh, asks Hal to give him those flyers, and Hal says, okay, but I already distributed them through the neighborhood. Uh. Uh, I, I nailed them to people's doors like a modern-day Martin Luther. Oh, man. <laughs> and at that point, the sounds of an angry mob forming <laughs> come from off-screen. <laughs> And Malcolm suggests that they go out the back door and spend the rest of the day at the library. <laughs> but uh, Hal just, like, uh, obliviously, like, pats Malcolm on the shoulder and says, Why? I hear the villagers coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact that he calls them the villagers, too, is perfect. It is. <laughs> oh... But uh, that just leaves the titular plotline, which centers around Dewey and Francis, and therefore is the F plot. N no, Jake, and is not. Yeah, F for Francis. No. The Francis plot. It's not the Francis plot. I it's mean, the it, end plot. It is. No. Or? For Nike. <laughs> That's funny. 
but incorrect. It's the F plot. <laughs> it is not the F plot. <laughs> it is not a Francis centric plot line. Mm, beg to differ. It's not Francis centric. Just because you are obsessed with Francis does not make this plot line Francis centric. Yeah, it's Francis and Dewey centric. It, it's mostly Dewey centric. I don't know about that. Well, that's because you're wrong. And you're blinded by your own desire to see Francis as this, you know, un- infallible hero. Well, well, I've never called him infallible. I mean, he is a hero. You've gotten pretty close. This plotline starts in the Busey's class where they are making lanyards and they're uh, being instructed you know, on uh, how to properly do this by a new shitty teacher. Because uh, they have found a way to one-up the shittiness of the Busey's teacher. <laughs> Which is impressive, honestly. We'll be uh, transitioning from a, uh, like, you know washed up like too beaten down to care or try anymore teacher to a blatantly abusive one yep and uh the principal like walks in as they're doing this and he uh asks the kids how everyone is doing and dewey tells him i know that no one cares what uh, happens in this classroom but could we at least get some books so that we can actually learn it something And the principal just, like, stares at him for a second, then says, You know what subject I liked least when I was a kid your age? Math! And then walks over to talk to the teacher. And Hanson uh, leans over to Dewey and asks if he'll sort his medicine for him. And Dewey says, What do you mean? I already did that. And Hanson says, Yeah, but then I unsorted it to see if I could sort it myself. I couldn't. (sighs) god that would drive me nuts and dewey sighs and says okay fine i'll do it after school uh then uh one of the other buseys uh who's uh this is a her only appearance but she is played by Jeanette mccurdy in her second role in the show as she previously played the female version of dewey in if boys were girls Hmm. and uh she tells dewey that uh uh, he can't help Hanson after school. She needs his help because the sidewalks told her that she couldn't walk on them anymore. And Dewey is, like, frustrated by this, but reluctantly says, uh, you know, stick around after school. After I help Hanson, I'll walk you home. But you guys really need to start doing more for yourselves. And when he says that, Chad turns around in his seat and says, That reminds me, my uncle died and my parents want you to explain death to me. <laughs> God. Poor Dewey. (laughs) (laughs) Man, at home, Dewey answers the phone and immediately assumes that it's Chad. Presumably Chad has, like, you know, called him multiple times and says that he's too busy to help him uh, because he's correcting everyone in the class's homework right now. It's been in your mouth for 30 minutes. Either swallow it or spit it out. (laughs) (laughs) A very confused Francis says, Dewey? (laughs) Uh, Dewey uh, asks if he wants to talk to Mom, but Francis explains, No, uh, I was actually calling to talk to you. And he explains that he has a job lined up to work uh, as a camp counselor over the summer, but he needs to uh, prove that he can put together a program for this summer camp. And he wants to come there 
and have Dewey play all of the games that he's come up with to make sure they're fun enough. And uh, he asks, how does that sound? And Dewey says, like a setup for a cool practical joke. But I'm willing to take the chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does know his brothers. That is fair. <laughs> then we see Francis at the house uh, playing cards with Lois as he's waiting for Dewey to get out of school. And he says that when he was Dewey's age, uh, he was always done with classes uh, hours ago. And Lois like glares at him and he says... Uh, doing independent study at the library and not smoking. <laughs> and uh, they like start talking about this job with Lois asking, you know, don't you need some sort of degree to work with kids? And Francis says, uh, you just think uh, every job is too good for me. And when Lois uh, asks, you know, so you have the job, he says, you know, he just needs to Put this program together, you know, the interview went well, and then the job is his. And Lois says, so you don't have the job. And Francis, you know, is getting upset as he says, uh, I have the job, you, you don't understand. And Lois says, this sounds like the real estate thing all over again. Ugh. And uh, Francis wins their game and like, uh, they briefly pause their argument to uh, ask us, uh, you want to play again? Sure. And then like, as soon as they start shuffling, resume their argument. <laughs> and then back at the school, the teacher is like lecturing one of the students for doing a bad job making this lanyard and telling them that if, uh, you know, that they don't do well here, then... Their future is going to be bleak. And the bell rings, and Dewey, like, rushes off, uh, clearly excited to hang out with Francis and play these games. And when Hanson, like, tries to stop him, saying he uh, needs help with the algebra homework Dewey gave them, Dewey says, I went over it 20 times. But Hanson says he walked through a magnet, and I, he's worried that he forgot everything. <laughs> Then uh, Dewey tells them, you know, uh, you're going to be fine. Uh, you need to do things for yourself. I can't keep doing this. He leaves them behind. And the teacher is collecting the lanyards they've been making, like putting them in a bucket. But when he tries to take one from Chad, uh, Chad refuses to give it up. And uh, the teacher, like, grabs the lanyard and tries to pull it out of his hand. And the teacher insists, you know, uh, I'm not scared. I'm a teacher who's not afraid of stern discipline. And at that point, Chad bites him. <laughs> and then the teacher says uh, that, you know, now this is a problem for the police. And he takes out his cell phone and starts to call the police. And Chad, like, instinctively turns back to Dewey's empty seat and asks, Dewey, what do we do? Uh, but of course, with Dewey not there, uh, they have to try to solve this problem for themselves. And Hansen stands up and, uh, like, calls out the teacher's name. And then, uh, it just cuts to this teacher, uh, Mr. F uh, Flirch, uh, tied up, like, in his, uh, chair with duct tape over his mouth. Like, surrounded by the Buseys. And 
Uh, Hanson says, of the three ideas we had, I think this is the best one. <laughs> oh, and that's terrifying. Man, <laughs> <laughs> back at the Wilkerson house, Dewey is, like, beating Francis in a race. He, like, runs into the backyard and jumps up and hits a bell. And Francis asks him for notes on the activities they've done, which consist of the Rainbow Obstacle Course, the Tickle Maze, and the Shower of Lollipops. All of which sound suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Dewey says that they were all great, and that this has been the best day of his life. But Francis still isn't satisfied. He's, like, uh, scribbling in his little notepad saying, "You, uh, I could make you happier. I mean, given Dewey's life, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like a high bar. <laughs> right. <laughs> then, uh, once again, going back to the school, the Buseys are all once again making lanyards, except for Dewey, uh, who, like, has a notebook, and he's... Uh, checking boxes, uh, each one, like, correlating to, uh, different, you know, events that Francis has had him going through, and he's marking down excellent on the excellent, good, and poor scale that Francis has provided for him. Which, uh, this, uh, notebook does add the cookie maze to the, uh, events. The other two that we see are ones that were already mentioned, but that one is new. (laughs) The cookie maze. Yep. Man, I want to go to a cookie maze. (laughs) <laughs> I don't like cookies Uh huh That's why your Girl Scout cookie opinions were so wrong No they were the correct ones Shut up I mean, We're not starting j- this again Just confessed non-cookie fans so. Yeah Just cause I'm not obsessed with cookies Doesn't mean I don't know which ones are good mm, I don't know uh, You wouldn't that know Sounds exactly. like you invalidated your uh, opinion uh-huh. To me as a non-expert Yeah Uh huh <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're going down some weird rabbit holes right now. I need you to just focus up, all right? I need you to no pay promises. attention. I, I know. What I need you to remember is that I was right, and the audience, while not agreeing with me, did also not agree with you, which is just as important for my cause as them agreeing with me. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, the majority agreed with me. Did they though? Just yeah, just the the vocal minority side. No, with you. you and Eric voting sided with you, but no. real voters did not. Wow, I can't believe you're accusing me of voter fraud. Of course I am. <laughs> First of all, have you met me? Second of all, have you met you? Yeah, I'm great. You're a dictator. No. Yeah. I'm just the voice of the people. <laughs> God damn it! See, I knew you were gonna say something insane like that. <laughs> I, uh, you know, represent the values of the villagers, David. The village, yeah, uh huh. The villagers. <laughs> Listen to the way you talk. All right. <laughs> Calm down, Che Guevara. But uh, getting back to this plot line. Please, dear God. <laughs> Dewey, like, looks around the class and uh, asks where uh, Mr. Flirch is. It's almost lunchtime. It's weird that he hasn't been here. <laughs> Which, uh, the, the other Busey's immediately, like, tried to divert his attention away from that, saying, uh, yeah, it is strange, but not strange enough to make a complaint about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Dewey, like, apologizes to them for, you know, blowing up at them, uh, the day before, 
But they tell him that it's okay, and that, you know, they have started doing things on their own, and Hanson says they're already doing things they didn't think they were capable of. <laughs> and the uh, camera, like, zooms out to uh, show that uh, their teacher is bound and gagged, uh, like, being stored under his desk. <laughs> then uh, we see Francis once again questioning Dewey, uh, you know, about all of these uh, games that they've been playing. And he, like, transitions from, you know, asking about how fun they were to uh, asking... Uh, and when I was shouting encouragement at you, did that ever make you feel scared or angry? And Dewey says no. And he says, uh, and when you, uh, lost at candy tag, uh, did that make you sad or want to hurt yourself? Jesus. And Dewey says, these are weird questions. And Francis says, uh, I know, I'm sorry, I just don't know what kind of questions to ask for kids like you. And Dewey asks, what do you mean kids like me? And Francis explains that the camp that he's going to be, uh, you know, working at is a special needs camp. And he knows Dewey is in a special needs class, so he wants to know how to, uh, you know, help kids like him. And Dewey tries to explain that, you know, he's not emotionally disturbed, he's just in that class to help, and then he, like, cuts himself off and says... You're a jerk, and, like, stomps away. And Francis uh, just writes down too much sugar in my games. <laughs> 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 then we see Chad uh, sleeping in the classroom with Mr. Flirch tied up still, as uh, clearly they are, like, doing this in shifts <laughs> to, you know, keep an eye on him. And there's a knock at the classroom door as a bunch of the other Buseys come in. And uh, Chad says, you know, this is his favorite time of day. Uh, but the uh, girl Busey says that uh, she doesn't like coming to school when it's still dark. She had to run past people's houses so she didn't catch their nightmares. And she says that they need to tell Dewey what they've done, that they can't keep doing this. But Hanson says that this is exactly the kind of thing that Dewey doesn't want them to bother, uh, to be bothered with. And, uh, she says that, you know, they can't keep taking care of him. That, uh, you know, if he dies, then they're going to have to tell everyone. And, uh, hearing this, Mr. Flirch, like, opens his eyes and, like, uh, you know, has an idea. Yes. <laughs> As Chad is uh, asking if they're criticizing his ability to feed the teacher. I chewed his steak up for 20 minutes before feeding it to him. Ugh. Yuck. Yuck. Then uh, Mr. Flirch fakes a heart attack as he like sits straight up and yells, Ah, my heart, which is weak from a pre-existing childhood condition. <laughs> <laughs> And he, like, throws himself in his chair, like, to the ground. And the Buseys start trying to give him CPR. But they aren't strong enough. So Hanson suggests that they use their feet. As they start kicking him, having Chad, uh, you know, breathing into his mouth every three kicks. Well, yeah, Chad will breathe for him. And they'll, you know, do compressions. 
Exactly. It makes perfect sense. And with that still not working, the uh, PC played by Jeanette McCurdy says that uh, on TV she once saw <laughs> to help someone breathe, they stabbed a hole in a guy's neck and put a pin in it. Uh, the idea that she's <laughs> pitching a tracheotomy here is hilarious. <laughs> Hanson says, I have a pen. Someone find the scissors. <laughs> <laughs> and as they are about to stab him in the neck with scissors, <laughs> a janitor walks into the classroom. And Mr. Flirch, uh, like, immediately calls out asking this janitor for help and apologizing for that time he assumed that he could break dance. And uh, saying, you know, I'm 116th Cherokee myself. And uh, the like janitor like looks uh, confused, and before he can do anything, the door closes behind him uh, with two of the Buseys like standing uh, behind him, looking sinister. <laughs> then Francis uh, like takes Dewey to school, and Dewey is telling him to leave. But Francis says, you know, he just wants to talk to his teacher to see if he can spend ten minutes with Dewey's classmates at recess to you know, help with his uh, programming for this summer camp. And when they go into the classroom, they find four adults <laughs> tied to chairs uh, and gagged. Yes. In addition to their teacher and the janitor, they have now also done this to the principal and a security guard. <laughs> And uh, Dewey, like, immediately turns to Francis and says, We need to go call the police. Uh, as the uh, Buseys are uh, asking Dewey for help, saying, uh, This one got away from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think? Just a wee bit? <laughs> and Francis asks, You know, you're just going to leave them like this? And Dewey says, You know, you, you don't know these kids. If I keep helping them, then they'll never learn to help themselves. But... Francis tells him, you don't get to, uh, you know, pick who needs your help. Uh, so you need to stay here and help your friends. And then he says, and I know I've never met him, but I can tell this guy's a total dink. And he points at the principal. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> and Dewey, like, sighs, but walks over to the principal and pulls the tape off of his mouth. And then, like, says to himself... You know, I thought when I decided to help, something would come to me, but I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> and the principal, like, immediately starts saying, you're all going to jail. And he tells Dewey, if you untie me right now, then uh, you might, you know, get off easy, but only you. Meanwhile, Chad, uh, like, looks at Francis and... You know, sees the lanyard that he has that uh, Francis's keys are on and tells him that he has to put his lanyard in the lanyard box. Uh, if not, then their teacher's going to get mad. And Francis is, like, confused, saying, uh, What do you mean? I bought this at a truck stop uh, 200 miles away. How could it be the same lanyard? <laughs> and... Dewey then, you know, realizes what's been going on, why their teacher has been forcing them to make all these lanyards, as he, like, uh, asks to see Francis's and, like, compares it to the ones they've been making, and of course they are the same. Naturally. And he, 
points this out to the principal, you know, saying, uh, how is it that, uh, this, you know, exact lanyard that, uh, we've been making, uh, was for sale at a, uh, truck stop hundreds of miles away? And the principal, like, uh, starts to deny it, but Mr. Flirt, like, spits his gag out and immediately sells him out. Uh, saying that, uh, I'm just his obedient crony. <laughs> he dangled the prospect of assistant vice principal in front of me, and I went along. I mean... There was a parking spot involved. Exactly, yeah, there was... It comes with parking, like... <laughs> listen... You got to do a lot in order to get the closer parking spot. I get it. Uh, it was one of the Nike benefits, too. I mean, that's why they did it. Ah, that, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dewey asks the principal, so who do you think is going to get punished more harshly? The special needs kids who kept some people tied up for a little while? Or the trusted principal who was forcing them into slave labor? <laughs> And he says, you know, we could take it to a judge to find out, or we could all just keep quiet and move on. <laughs> and uh, the security guard and the janitor have, like, a uh, conversation. They, they, like, whisper to each other. And uh, the janitor says they'll agree to go along with this plan as long as they get five minutes with the principal and the teacher before they untie them. <laughs> and that wraps this plot line up. So let's go to our awards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating King Award. Our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one, David? So I originally went with the four uh, adults tied up because it's very funny, but Honestly, especially because of the conversation and like the the fucking like super highlighted books that I remember getting in college, uh, I actually went with Reese's highlighted textbooks because um, one, it's just super relatable, and two, uh, I I do love the idea of Reese going through and not only like highlighting books but actually like studying, attempting to fail. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I I love that. So I, I gave it to Reese's highlighted textbooks. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I went with uh, CPR in quotes. I <laughs> would. Ah, uh, that's fair. <laughs> the the Buseys like gathered around this teacher, just kicking the absolute shit out of him. <laughs> it's uh, just so funny. <laughs> it is. It, it's a great scene. I do love it. <laughs> and he deserves it. You're not wrong. <laughs> and moving on to our next award, what did you give your Hot Dog with Mustard Award? Your award for the best line. I gave it to a Hal line. Uh, <laughs> a hotline will be set up so children can inform on non-hugging parents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's so funny, but also, God, Hal. Uh... <laughs> I do also appreciate that when he says non-hugging, he does like finger quotes. He does, yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, I went with the line, The bank gave me a toaster in 1987. I never even opened the box. <laughs> From oh, Jim. <laughs> uh, 
Good old Ted. <laughs> so I just love how committed he is to, you know, since there hasn't been any neighbors at this neighborhood meeting, he he doesn't feel like he can open the, the you know, free toaster that was given to him when he opened the saving accounts. Of course, he's a good guy. He is. <laughs> And, uh, which of these plot lines did you choose as the A plot of your heart? Uh, I went with the, uh, M- Malcolm and Hal, the, the RC plot. As did I. It's just so funny. Plus it has Ted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has Ted. It has a Hal becoming an accidental dictator. <laughs> it has very small stakes bureaucracy. Your favorite kind? All my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jake. And uh, who did you have as your top skate dog, your favorite character? Well, obviously, Ted, a.k.a. Sam Lloyd. Okay, okay. Fair enough. Uh, I did not choose him this award. I chose Hal for this award. That's fair. Hal's a great character. Yeah, and uh, (laughs) I do love his utopia and his just, like... (laughs) naiveness letting malcolm like very obviously manipulate him through the episode (laughs) yeah uh and who did you give your chloris leachman award your award for the best acting i actually gave it to cameron monaghan okay i just i think chad was really uh really funny in this episode without being like especially shitty um which so kudos to the writers i mean there's still a couple jokes that are a little eh with him but yeah. i think they're starting to use him without being as offensive but mostly honestly i just think that the kid did such a good job of like conveying emotion and sort of that frazzled state um and i i think that f- to see the young actors do that on par with these guys like you know brian cranston and jane kesmerick and stuff and like actors with some serious chops is is always impressive so when they do as well as their adult counterparts or better i i always feel obligated to nominate them. right which uh i just realized david uh-huh so uh, you, you you talking about him just now uh made me like check and this is actually the last appearance of the Buseys. no yeah fuck because you 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 saying you know <laughs> they, they finally seem to be doing better with them made me go yeah then I was like trying to think of like, is that consistent? Is that continuing? I'm like, I can't think of a single Busey episode after this. And uh, yeah, this this is this is our final uh, appearance for any of the Buseys. Damn it. Yeah. But uh, as for my Cloris Leachman award, I gave that award to Sam Lloyd. I mean, I almost did too, but it would have felt like all I did was give awards to Sam Lloyd. Uh, <laughs> that's fair <laughs> he's one of those actors who like almost everything i've seen him in he plays like the same character but he's just so goddamn good at it that he, i don't care <laughs> he is, he's got that dopey like no self-esteem the most pathetic man in the world like dos Equis has the most interesting man in the world ted is the wimpiest man in the world and he does such a good job i love it so much uh, it's he's so funny, and I found out I I don't know if he's passed away or not, but he got diagnosed with yes. lung cancer. Uh, yeah, uh, he died of a brain tumor. Okay, I missed I missed if he like I knew 
sure uh he had been diagnosed with lung cancer and then i didn't hear anything from there but like that sucks because that dude was the shit uh yeah yeah you are not wrong but uh i also uh forgot until i was uh like looking at stuff for uh, this episode i forgot he was in galaxy quest (laughs) It's a small oh, yeah. part in that, which is a great fucking movie. It is a great fucking movie. And it's like making this weird internet comeback now. Like, I remember liking it, you know, not to sound like a hipster, but before it was cool. And now, like, everyone's like, that movie's so fucking great, man. You assholes would have thrown rocks at us if we'd have said it was a good movie, like, two years ago. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I think it was one of those movies that was, like, critically well-received when it came out, but did, like, really poorly, like... Uh, box office wise and kind of got written off yeah and uh now it's like kind of re-emerging as a cult classic because people are like no that movie was really funny yeah oh <laughs> dude it was great are you kidding me tony shalhoub's character hilarious yeah yeah all right even tim allen is likable in it and he's tim allen right <laughs> moving on who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award? Your award for the worst parent. I had to give it to Hal. Okay, okay. I almost gave it to Chad's parents, but I couldn't remember their names, and we don't actually see them. We just hear about them, and the idea of them sending the Dewey is horrible and shitty, but since we didn't actually see them, I didn't, I didn't give it to them. I gave it to Hal because, one, you need to get that shit out of your chimney, dude. And two using your son as a scapegoat for that, and three, then turning said fake thing that you did into an almost dictatorship. Real bad. Real bad, Hal. Real bad luck. Uh, that's fair, but I don't have your aversion to giving off-screen characters awards, <laughs> so I gave it to Chad's parents. Uh, that's fair. They're, <laughs> they're real shitty. Yes. <clears throat> oh, you yes. want to know about death? Ask Dewey. Yep, with one mention. Yep. <laughs> Shittiest parents. Uh, fair. And again, if they'd have been, like, even flashed on screen, I would have voted for them. But I thought for sure you were going to fight me on it, so I was like, nah, I'll go with Hal. Oh, no, no. that that That's always a you fight with me <laughs> for the characters we don't see getting awards. I have no problem with that. You're the one that always gets on my case when I do it. Unless you want to fight, and then you'll give me shit. No. Uh-huh. Don't lie. No, I'll find something else to give you shit about. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> There's always some arbitrary thing I can find, David. <laughs> you, you are arbitrary, so. Exactly. Well, uh, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Uh, a skate park actually being something a kid would want. Wow. Dude, listen, we have built four of them in this town, and it is always after, like, the actual, like, target demographic gave a shit about skate parks. <laughs> uh, it- David. They remastered Tony Hawk Underground. Skating is cool again. Wait, did they really? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Um, Like a year or two ago. No, I just, I I remember, because like in in two of the towns that I've lived in, like uh, both here and down south, it always seems like the skate park gets built like after skating has kind of left the like popularity thing for kids and like then they never get used kind of like two of our skate parks that never get used and the one only gets used because it's next to a school (laughs) 
Yeah, that, that is fair. Skate parks do seem to, like, go through, like, a phases of, like, they're, they're being used constantly and then, like, the, the, like, fad of skateboarding, like, dies out somewhat for a while and they don't get used and then it comes back and they get used again. Yeah, they just, like, disappear out of the zeitgeist for whatever reason. Like, nobody thinks of them, nobody, like... I, I still remember having to remind and explain to people that we had skate parks in this town. And I'm not, I'm talking about like young adults, not, not adults. Cause they were like, Oh, cause people yeah, just forget yeah. about them. That's fair. That's fair. I, I have definitely noticed that cycle as well. Uh, but, uh, for my, okay. Boomer, I went with uh from the cold open, the daytime soap operas. <laughs> Is uh the the you know modern uh, streaming environment has mostly killed that genre. There are only three of the like long running daytime soap operas left on the air. Most of them have died out. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But uh, boy, do I remember as a kid there uh, being a lot of them. <laughs> These are the days of our lives. <laughs> I think that one is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine so. Half the actors probably are. I, that that doesn't matter. That's fair. <laughs> Those shows outlive their casts. That's that's <laughs> they true. just keep going. Well, I mean, that's the best part, Jake, is they can slip into a coma and then come back aged up for yeah. guest appearances. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow have twins while in a coma. Like you do. Yeah. That, that just Should makes I sense. Go into a comb? Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid. Sure does, Jake. Uh, who did you have as your shittiest kid, David? Malcolm. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. He's, uh, he, he spends the entire episode like very blatantly manipulating his own father to try to get this uh, vast sum of money spent in ways that directly benefit his interests, one of which is also pervy and creepy. <laughs> exactly. And who did you have as least shitty get it? I gave it to Dewey. Okay. Because he learns a valuable lesson, he helps the, the Buseys out, and he also, I mean... Despite knowing Francis's tendencies and his brother's tendencies, still helps his brother out and gets to spend time with his brother, uh, despite thinking that it might be a horrible, horrible trap. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I gave Francis least shitty game for teaching Dewey a valuable <laughs> lesson about, about, you know, doing the right thing as far as his friends go and for uh, not turning his... Uh, you know, games into some sort of cruel practical joke as Dewey expected, and uh, at this point, as we as an audience should probably expect. Right? I didn't... <laughs> I didn't uh, him working at a special needs camp scares me. <laughs> That's reasonable. <laughs> I don't know that he'll be great at this job, but I, I do think, uh, you know... He, he is uh, going about this stuff in a way that I actually do think is, like, surprisingly thoughtful and not shitty for Wilkerson. That's fair. <laughs> it is kind of shitty that, you know, he, like, doesn't realize that, you know, Dewey doesn't have the emotional uh, problems that the school thinks he does. But, uh, right. other than that, like, pretty good Francis episode. 
right. I could see it. Yeah, no, this was definitely a, uh, there's the two kids contending for shittiest and the two contending for least shitty episode. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that Jamie, man, I don't know. I was on the fence. No. <laughs> <laughs> he almost got shittiest kid. <laughs> that, that look he gave in that one scene, you know, it's pretty sketchy. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple of segments left, which, uh... <laughs> I don't have anything down for this, given that we were mid-episode when I realized we needed it, but should should we do a uh, fond farewells for the Buseys? I guess we have to. (laughs) All right, well, uh, do you have anything uh, you want to throw out there for this? I like that you put me in front of this bus first. Uh, Thanks. I, I, I actually, like, immediately have one if you don't. I don't. I have to think. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I will go... Uh, with, uh, Chad's moment with Hal from, uh, Dewey's sleepover, uh, with, with the encyclopedia and, like, bonding with Hal over, you know, filling in the blanks in, in uh, you know, these letters and, uh, you know, how having the, this, like, very nice moment with him, uh, in this otherwise not great episode. Right. Okay. That's fair. I... Man, I feel like an asshole. I can't think of his name. The motorcycle kid. Uh, Hanson. Hanson. I I will go with, I think it was the first one, but it's the one, uh, the scene where Dewey is uh, talking to Hanson and, like, figures out how to communicate with him and get him to, like, cooperate and do stuff by, like, putting it into, you know, his metaphor and language and getting him to, like, sort of chill down and not try to literally run everyone over. With his pretend motorcycle. Because it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, I like seeing Dewey interact with these guys and, and being willing to literally like hold himself back and put himself in these situations so and continue to help these kids who clearly need someone who's just willing to listen to them and spend time with them instead of literally lock them in a basement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it does like serve to like bring out. Like, the, the, the best in Dewey as a character. Despite the uh, numerous flaws that we've talked about kind of at length at this point. Sort of right. around the Buseys. And uh, we don't have a WTFF this week because Francis is in the episode. So let's go over to the Cranston Connection. Alright, gladly, Jacob. This, this week, I was the one who had to suss out the connection... And it came very quickly and very easily because what we see here is Hal very quickly falling back into old behaviors that he picked up as Robert Mazur when he infiltrated Pablo Escobar's organization as a wealthy money launderer and businessman. And that's where he learned all of these tactics and principles that he was going to put into Mulberry. Um, And... We see him lapsing back into that former uh, alter ego and see those shrewd skills of of money laundering and business and that sort of uh, caring about no one but himself and getting whatever his mission done that we see again manifests itself as, quote, the danger when he's Walter White and several of his other roles. Okay, okay. Well, that just leaves David's guessing game, uh, which you did pretty well this time. 
So you successfully predicted that the Buseys would take their teacher hostage, though it was a uh, different teacher than the one that we've seen before. It sure is. Which I did have to, like, double-check, because I was like, did they just recast her, or is this a different character? But he does have a different name, so... Uh, you also predicted uh, that they would take this hostage uh, because the school was trying to punish a student, which is kind of correct. Uh, though you thought that it would be that they were trying to, uh, like, kick someone out of the class and, like, put them into, like, some sort of, like, juvie institution. Uh, which isn't quite what it was, but it was fairly close. What with the teacher trying to call the police on the student. Right, yeah, and the whole, you know, slave labor thing and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see the Nike angle. Fair. <laughs> uh, uh, so I gave you a 97% on this one. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. And what do you think happens next week in the season finale? Oh, damn it. Mrs. Tri-County. I was hoping you weren't going to say season finale because I was going to say it's the finale, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, got you good. Right? <laughs> yeah, way to, way to ruin my dumb joke slash trying to eke out an extra half point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're a jerk. Uh, I'm sorry. Say the title again for me. Uh, Mrs. Tri-County. So obviously it's a beauty pageant. Now the question is, is Lois in the beauty pageant or is she like, I think it's a little early. Like that stuff didn't really start happening like in pop culture yet. But like if Lois like really wanted the prize or something and dressed up one of the boys as, as a girl and made them compete in like a, a, a kid's beauty pageant. Okay. Cause this is what? 2005. Yep. I don't remember kids beauty pageants back then. But, uh, I mean, when, when, when did Little Miss Sunshine come out? <laughs> I don't remember. That's what I'm trying to think. Because I think that was around this time. That, that was, like, the first time that I, like, saw, like, pop culture handling, like, the kids' beauty pageant thing. Right, that was 2006. Really? Yeah. So the question is, did they do it first? I don't. I don't know. I feel like it didn't really hit mainstream until after Little Miss Sunshine, though. Fair enough. And then it didn't really explode until after all that weird, like, Honey Boo Boo shit in, like, 2013. I think Honey yeah. Boo Boo was a little before that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That's that's where I got, like, really redneck with it. Um, oh, it, look, it was always really redneck. <laughs> I know, but I meant the pop culture side of it, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's just the point where reality TV producers went, wait a minute, we can exploit this for money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so I'm going to say it's not one of the boys. I, I'm going to say it is Lois. Maybe we okay. get like a Lois trying to reclaim her youth storyline. Because okay. I, I just, I don't think that they would do that yet. I think that if this episode was like two years later, I think that's what the storyline would be. So I think it will be like Lois and... Maybe we get, like, a recapturing her youth. Maybe we find out that she, like, was gonna compete or always wanted to compete in a beauty pageant but didn't for XYZ reasons. Like, maybe Hal knocked her up. Gotcha. And obviously, the boys are not going to be supportive of this. Like, I would not be surprised if they, like, were to mock Lois or, you know, especially if there's, like, a, you know, 
like Miss Congeniality style like swimsuit portion. There's probably, I'm sure the boys are mocking or making retching or gagging sounds, shit like that, you know. That's about as far as I've got. Okay, that works for me. Alright, well that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening. As always, thanks and credit to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. Uh, you can find links to more of his music in our episode descriptions. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to catch us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we interact with chat, play video games, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember, life is unfair. I do stand by uh, Sam being a himbo. That's that's just factual. I can at least understand that statement. I don't (laughs) like it, but I can understand why you say it. Uh, Cheers is, uh, you know, it's the classic hembo girl boss romance. That's what Cheers is all about. (laughs) Okay, I take that back. I don't stand by anything you said. (laughs)